So again, just to say, like our, our target when it, with our church, with our children's ministry, family ministry, and youth ministry, is to form kids who stick with the church and stick with Jesus after high school. Um, we are, uh, my, my mentor, as I was saying, my mentor in, in Charlotte, my pastor, who's formerly a youth minister, I got together with him when I first became a youth pastor, and I kind of asked him, like, give, me, you know, give me some direction. And he said, if anyone asks you how your youth ministry is doing, then what you need to say to them, well, ask me in 10 years, and then I'll tell you. And he kind of set this vision of, as I say, we're not playing for 18, we're playing for 28 and 38 and 48 and 58 and 68 and 78. Because hopefully if we form a good foundation in a kid, uh, then when they uh, encounter the challenges that they naturally will, whether they're intellectual challenges when they go to college and take a philosophy class, or uh, challenges of suffering, like how, you know, how is it that God let this happen to me? How is it God lets it happen in the world? Um, or challenges where they just don't feel God, when they just aren't experiencing God's presence, the, the hope is that they'll have enough of a foundation that they'll still believe that God is good and they'll still be able to trust God in their life. And so we're thinking, we're thinking long-term. So the vision statement is this. The Youth Ministry of the Advent seeks to foster lifelong followers of Jesus Christ who remain faithful to God, who live lives of redemption in the world, and who are committed to the church after high school after high school. So we're thinking long term. Uh, historic, well, historically, uh, youth ministry is, is about behavior modification. I get enough kids to not drink and to not smoke and to not have premarital, and to, to sign a pledge that they're not going to have premarital sex and carry around a Bible and put on a bracelet. And that's what I've done. That's playing for 18 for these kind of visible signs. But long term faith, you have to build a deep, deep foundation. And that occurs you know, that's blocking and tackling. That's <laughs> chipping away every single day consistently. Um, so, so anyhow, so that's the mission statement. Now, um, historical and cultural landscape of church retention. Uh, it's interesting. So uh, I'll speak a little bit kind of in youth terms. But, you know, youth ministry is actually a very new field. Um, the, actually, adolescence is a very new thing. Adolescence has never really existed until the 20th century. And uh, youth ministry as a, like, as a field or as something that's present in the church, it didn't, really, it didn't really appear until the 1940s, 1950s. It actually historically is in response to the Nazi youth movement. They saw how the, the Nazis were able to leverage uh, young people for evil. And uh, with the threat of communism and things like that, the people were very afraid. And so they're like, hey, we need to leverage these kids for good. And so that's, that's a lot of the kind of historical background of where it starts. Um, but anyhow, youth ministry really kind of came, ha- ended its first generation at the end of the 20th century. And so uh, they started to do research on, hey, how, how effective are churches these days at forming kids who, you know, stick with Christ and stick with the church? And uh, they found that uh, the churches, churches, particularly youth ministries, were very, very ineffective. Um, there were probably six or seven comprehensive studies uh, about church retention amongst young people, and they found you know the, the ranges go anywhere from like 88%, I think it's a little overblown, to uh, 45%. But in general, you find that about 65 to 70% of kids who are a part of a youth ministry did not return to church after high school. Um, and so there was this, there has been this giant freakout uh, in uh, kind of in, in the religious world about what are we doing wrong? Like why is it we've invested all this time into the spiritual lives of young people? And yet, uh, it's, it's, you know, we're not, it's not working at all. And so the second layer of research, which occurred, has occurred over the last 15 years, 
uh, it looked at why. Why is it the kids are not sticking with the church? And so there are kind of there are four primary trends that you see um, in uh, that kind of attribute to this uh, lack of lack of retention. Um, and and sorry, on top of that, well. Um, you know, it's, the thing that the thing that's pretty disappointing is it's not terribly surprising in the general culture that uh, you know that kind of church involvement or religious affiliation is declining. Uh, you know, the, the Pew study that came out recently that got a lot of publicity, uh, you know, found that millennials, which those are people who are born late 80s, to, sorry, early 80s to early 2000s, um, are two times more likely than their parents to not identify with any religious group and three times more likely than their grand their grandparents generation to not identify to to as you know the terminology to identify themselves as none on a survey about their religious affiliation but uh, but you know what they found really is that kids who are in youth ministries are haven't been really haven't been that much better than the general culture um, they, the um, they, there are some people who say that you know you could almost say that a kid who grows up in a youth ministry is about as likely to um, to end up in church as a, a person who ended who grew up in a non-Christian home. Um, that youth ministries actually have done work to repel uh, repel kids from the church. And as we go forward, we'll talk about why that is a little bit more. But um, but you know, going back to the why, why is this? Well, the, the four factors that were kind of uh, zoned in on on the research. And by the way, the research is not it's not like you know this Bible college and in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, that has done this research. I and mean, this is Oxford, this is Princeton, this is the University of North Carolina, this is Fuller Theological Seminary. It's major academic institutions who have done this research. And the first is a lack of parental involvement in the kid's spiritual life. Now, you're about to feel very indicted or condemned by me saying that, but in reality, um, you know, they found that basically parents will, um, parents will kind of treat their kid's spiritual life in a similar fashion to the way we treat Little League or piano lessons. So it's like, okay, for my kids' athletic development, I'm going to send them off to Little League or you know, to swim practice or to the strength coach. And for my kids' academic development, I send them to school or I send them to a tutor. Uh, for my kids' you know, artistic development, they'll go take piano lessons or guitar lessons. And for my kids' spiritual life, that's where the church is. I outsource that to the church. And, and really, you, know, we can, you can interpret this, and people have you know, tried to point the finger at parents, but it's really the fault of the church. Um, churches have done a terrible job of communicating to parents, um, you know, their their role in their kid's spiritual life and how important that is and how valuable it is, um, and also equipping parents, um, you know, giving them tools to lead their kids spiritually. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, most I don't know, most people um, kind of the trend is they'll uh, maybe not be super active in the church and then they get married and maybe start to go back a little bit and they have kids and it's like okay, thanks, life just got real, right? And so, you know, most people, I think, come into parenthood without a ton of tools on, uh, you know, what it, what it looks like and what it means to spiritually invest in your child, to disciple your child as a parent. And, um, and so churches have been happy to just, you know, kind of say, yeah, just send us your kids and we've, we've got it from here. Uh, and so, so with our church, you kind of notice things like faith and family, classes like this, Sunday school classes, different things like that. Uh, you know, this is all because we feel like the church as a whole has failed to help parents. And so, you know, we really try to make an effort, um, we try to make an effort to, uh, to be as helpful and encouraging as possible. Um, so, 
Uh, next thing is a lack of interaction with older members of the church. Um, I'd be curious to hear if, you know, you, or I'm curious if this has been your experience, but say over the last uh, 40 years, there's been a trend where in churches, sorry, I can go back, <laughs> my bad. Um, there's been a trend where churches, um, you know, they have children's chapel for little kids, and then you've got the youth group, and you've got youth Sunday school, and even a youth worship service at, at some churches. And the kids basically have very little, little interaction with people who are not in their age group. And so what they found in, in terms of the research is that when kids go to college, they've always been segregated. They've never had to interact with older people in a religious environment. Um, they've never sat beside um, the, you know, the person who, who has their 18-month-old there or their two-year-old who is asking lots of questions, who's loud and disruptive, um, and, uh, and, they're, yeah, and they're, they're kind of creeped out by interacting with, with, with older people. And so consequently, they just kind of stay away from the church because they are socially uncomfortable uh, and you know they and 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 they've and it's because they've never been given an opportunity uh, to interact to interact with older adults. Um, third, it would be a lack of discipleship focus. Here's what I mean by that: uh, the end game for historically for youth ministry has not been forming kids who have a real relationship with God, who trust God with their life, um, who see the world through Scripture, you know, things like that who are like honest to goodness Christians, the focus has been get the kids in the door and, and make them behave well. Um, so, hey, you know, who cares if there's any substance? Let's just tell the kids we're going to play Chubby Bunny tonight. Let's throw a lot of pizza out there. Let's play some games. Um, I cannot even tell you the stories I've heard of things that youth ministers have done to try to, you know, the next, the next attraction for a kid. Eating live goldfish. Terribly, con- terribly common. Um, I know someone who grew up in a church in Mississippi, and the youth pastor, they used to play a game uh, where they would play hide-and-seek in the church, and if you got caught, you would sit in a chair, and you had to touch something that would electrocute you. <laughs> you would get electrically shocked. So it was like to like amp up to amp up the fear of like don't, you know, the, the excitement of not getting caught in hide-and-go-seek in the church. You know, it was, we're going to electrocute you to get caught. <laughs> I mean, that is psychotic. It's crazy. Anyhow, so yeah, that's a real story. And so anyhow, so there's just been all this attention to, like, let's just get the kids in the door, but not a lot of attention to actually spiritually forming them and, and offering them substance uh, and, and dumbing things down. So that's the third factor. And the final factor, which has far and away been the most significant factor, is the theological content of youth ministry historically. If anyone, anybody here grew up in a youth ministry, raise your hand if you grew up around a youth ministry. Okay, yeah, all right, so let's, let's break it down. There were really, there were about three things involved. Don't have sex before marriage, don't drink, be nice. That's pretty much it, right? That's pretty much what you got every Sunday. Anything about like the Bible or, you know, the Trinity or God's grace for you or how to pray or things like that. Not so much at the forefront, but it's, you know, it's just basically moral directives, moral imperatives. And so, and so anyhow, so the image of youth ministry is moralism, uh, entertainment, and then, um, and then emotional experience, right? You've got to play Light the Fire. Anybody, play, you know, remember Light the Fire from growing up? All these songs that didn't necessarily have any Christian content, 
but they were all directed to like get you motivated for motivated for Jesus. So entertain, give some rules, and then give a pep talk and some music that's going to emotionally inspire you to be good for a week until you come on back and we do it all over again. And so, um, so anyhow, uh, it's interesting. The one of the primary books written about this is by a, a scholar at Princeton named Kenda Creasy Dean, and her book is called Almost Christian. The reason she calls it almost Christian is because she says that the message of youth ministry historically is almost Christian. Not quite Christian, almost Christian. And so, um, and so anyhow, in, in this research, they, uh, Christian Smith, who is at Oxford, he's now at Notre Dame, and he did this uh, in conjunction with uh, North Car- University of North Carolina, he, um, he coined this term in a book called Soul Searching that, that encapsulates the theology of the theology that we give to young people, and this includes children and teenagers, but it says it's moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. It makes perfect sense when you break down what those words mean. Uh, it, it's uh, moralistic means, you know, basically just giving rules, giving moral directives. Uh, therapeutic is, um, you know, try to um, try to arouse an emotional experience, uh, and it's kind of about me and my felt needs. And then deism, like there's a God, uh, but he's kind of out there, and I can call him if I really need him. But as far as like day-to-day life, you know, he's 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 in he's in you know China, and I'm here in the United States. He's just not really here. And so, um, which kind of makes sense, right? It makes sense when you think about the practice of youth ministry and what you may have experienced as a kid. That moralistic, therapeutic deism is kind of the the um, the overarching theology of young people who've gone through. Uh, who've gone through um, gone through youth ministries, and so so basically, they, you know, they came up with that term from doing like 275 30-minute interviews with students, and they asked them what they believed, and that's how they described it overall. But they they came up with five core beliefs of the average uh, church, <laughs> average religious teenager. Core belief number one: a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on the earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and, and most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Help us, Lord God. I'm all about joy, but I think God's glory probably fits into there somewhere. Um, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So there you see the deism flowing through. And the last one, good people go to heaven when they die. So even this idea of like you know being saved by grace and by faith is like not on the radar. Amazingly, in these 30, these were 275 30-minute interviews, uh, the word sin was mentioned. They, they did a word count on the the number of times certain words were mentioned in all of the interviews. Okay, think about how many words a teenager can uh, you know spit out in 30 minutes. 275 teenagers. All right, uh, sin was mentioned 47 times. Repentance was mentioned 12 times. The gospel, the word gospel was not mentioned one time. The word justification was not mentioned word time. Salvation was not mentioned was mentioned six times. The word grace was used three times total. 275 30-minute interviews. The word grace was used twice as many times in reference to the television show Will and Grace than in reference to the theological concept of God's unmerited love for sinners. Okay? So that just that just tells the whole story about kind of the lack of substance historically um, when it comes to the way that we uh, churches have, have tried to you know tried to form kids as Christians. 
Um, another study, College Transition Project by uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, um, they focused exclusively on Christian youth ministry kids. Uh, they were a little more targeted in that way. They said that um, they asked kids to define the gospel, and they said that 35% of the kids did not mention Jesus when defining the gospel. And they said that the majority of kids define the gospel in terms of what we do for God as opposed to what God has done for us through Christ. Uh, and so they, they used the term the Jesus jacket. They said the kind of the theological mindset of young people was, um, was the Jesus jacket. And that means basically it's a set of behaviors that you put on and, um, and, you know, and that's what it means to be a Christian. And so um, it's very interesting the the leader one of the two leaders of that study, uh, Chap Clark, uh, he said this: a performance-based Christianity can last only so long. When kids reach the awareness through failure or pain or insecurity or inner wrestling with who is the owner of their faith, that they do not have the power or interest to keep the faith treadmill going, they will put their faith aside. So you know. Frightening, frightening <laughs> statistic from this study is that the kids who were the most likely to, uh, you know, be sexually active in college and and engage in binge drinking were kids who in high school did not drink, did not have sex, and who defined the gospel in terms of what they do for God instead of what God has done for them. So basically, we, you know, like you're, we all know this, we all failed. Uh, we all had a moral failure of some sort. We all had a humiliation of some sort. We all kind of came to the end of our rope at some point. And what he's basically saying is that a kid who does not understand Christianity is what God has done for them in Christ. That it's, you know, because of Jesus, God loves you unconditionally. God has grace for you every second of the day. And whenever you mess up, whenever you're exhausted, uh, there is a well of mercy that you can always go to, and that well of mercy is Jesus. Okay? Well, if a kid doesn't understand that, then they're going to run out of gas and they're going to have nothing to turn to. Um, they're going to be all on their own. And so, um, and so that is why, you know, when you think about what is the opposite of moralistic therapeutic deism, the opposite of that is the gospel. Uh, the, uh, you know, the gospel, so moralistic is, you know, about our moral performance. Well, you know, the gospel is about Jesus' performance for us. Jesus lived perfectly for you. Jesus died for you all because God, because God loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. Uh, deistic, I mean, the gospel is that because of Christ, when a person's a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells with them. God is always with them for the rest of their life. You're never alone. God is actively involved in your life. He has a plan for your life. Um, and so it's, you know, that's, the, that's how the gospel is the opposite of the deism. And then therapeutic, you know, your life is first and foremost about God's glory, God's kingdom. I mean, if you think that your life is only about your happiness, you're going to be very, very discontent. Um, with life. You're going to be very disappointed with life. There is, you know, uh, no greater joy um, than living for, for the kingdom, living a life of a servant, living for God's glory. And so, um, and so anyhow, so the gospel really is the awful, and that's why like, gospel centrality is so key. So now, um, what we look at now is foundations of effective ministry to young people. And this is from age zero all the way up, you know, to however old. Um, but the first, like I said, is gospel centrality. Uh, you know, if a kid knows nothing else uh, in our church, when they leave here, whenever they, whatever age that is, we want them to know that Christianity is first and foremost 
about what God has done for you in Christ. It is first and foremost about God's unconditional love for you, regardless of how sinful you are, regardless of how much you screw up, regardless of how much you doubt. And so, um, so that is the absolute most important thing uh, for a kid to see and hear from parents and from the church as a whole. Um, secondly, uh, second principle is theological depth through exegetical biblical teaching. Um, Ed Stetzer, who is um, he's the head of Lifeway Research, which is a group that kind of studies all this stuff. He uh, he's, he wrote this about uh, you know he wrote an article and he's written stuff about you know principles for for forming kids who have sustainable faith. He said, if your student ministry is a four-year holding tank with pizza, don't expect young adults to stick around. If, however, they see biblical teaching as relevant and the church as essential to their decisions, they'll stay. That's, a little, that's an oversimplification, but, um, but you know, he's making a point there. And so you know, one of the things I think about, I wrote this little article called Four Moments I'm Preparing Kids For. And one of them was, uh, you know, two, well, two of them are relevant to this. One is uh, when they have an atheist philosophy professor their freshman year, and, or they have that, you know, that kid who's, a, who's an angry atheist uh, on their hall who also was a debater in high school. Um, <laughs> he's, very, you know, he's very persuasive. You know, the, the, kid will ha- that are, the kids who go to our church will have, you know, have a basic theological grid through which they can interpret those things. Obviously, you know, none of them are going to go <coughs> debate Richard Dawkins or anything like that. But they have, you know, some basic foundations, a basic worldview, where they're not just dealing from nothing, not just dealing from scratch, right? They, they have some theological grid through that. And another one was uh, when, you know, when their best friend dies in a car accident or when their their parent gets cancer, uh, because you know there is going to be a time when they are going to suffer and they are going to say like, what in the world, God, like? Is God real? Could God be good if he's allowing this to happen to me? And again, um, you know, in moments like that, um, you know, there are lots of moments in our faith where we, we were, most moments where we need our heart. That's a moment where we need our head. That's a, that's a moment where we need to you know, remind ourselves, uh, I know that God is good because Jesus is the very image and the exact representation of God. I know that I know that God is, uh, I know that God is with me. I know that God can empathize with what I'm going through because he went through this as, as the person Jesus Christ. So basically, kids need to be theologically prepared for those moments um, so that you know, they can lean on God and remain strong when, um, you know, when, those, when those troubles come. All right, a third principle is relational discipleship. Um, there's just, I mean, the nature of Christianity is that we do this all together. You know, that we do this in relationship with one another. We can teach that, you know, our kids can regurgitate the um, you know the definition of the gospel. I make I make boys in my Bible study <laughs> define the gospel every single Bible study, um, and they can you know give us great answers to uh, you know great answers to about the sovereignty of God and blah 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 blah. But if there's no translation from here to here, or there's no translation from you know from the, what they know to how they live their life, then it's kind of wood hay and straw. Like the point of this. Is for this not to just be something in the abstract, something cerebral, but something that actually impacts their life. That you know, when they make decisions, they think about scripture, or you know, when they uh, screw up, they know the principles of reconciliation. And um, you know, when they are lonely, they know that God is with them. Like we, we want this to be more than just head knowledge. It needs to translate to life, and that only happens through relationship. Um, that only happens through walking with life as parents with your own kids. 
knowing what they're knowing what's going on with them, asking them how it is that you know how it is that God's love for them or God's sovereignty applies to their problems, and for us as people in the church, volunteers, uh, youth ministers, so on and so forth, to be relationally involved with people. That's just the only that's the only way it's going to work. So that has to be in there as well. Um, a uh, fourth principle is we parents and the church we need to all be in this together uh, that's that's how it is laid out in scripture um, Deuteronomy is a fantastic book of the Bible to read because it's about honestly instilling uh, sustainable faith in kids the Jews are getting ready or the Israelites I should say are getting ready to go um, from the wilderness into the promised land and none of the people who saw uh, the, Red, the Red Sea parted and who are in Egypt are going to be going in. Uh, Joshua and Caleb are the only two people who are going to be going in. So they're having to think about, okay, how, do, how, are, how are these kids going to, how are our young people, how is this next generation going to carry the faith forward? And so the book of Deuteronomy is God preparing them for that. And so you see that it is a partnership. It's families and it's the church together. Uh, the Assembly of God's people working together to um, form faith in kids. The, in one of these studies from Fuller Theological Seminary, uh, by the way, their, their website, Sticky Faith, is really strong. It's a, it's a really good website. So is the Rooted blog. Um, but I'm the editor of that. Might, you know, and that might be a little bit self-aggrandizing, but, um, but, but both of those are good blogs. But uh, Sticky Faith, they have a book. They have Sticky Faith for Youth Leaders and Sticky Faith for Parents uh, by Chap Clark and Kara Powell. I, I recommend both of them. Um, but uh, they found that there's a direct correlation between um, a kid sticking with Christ in the church after high school and that kid, the number of people outside the kid's family and outside the kid's generation that invested, the, the kid felt invested in their life. So if a kid said that, um, if a kid said that, you know, 30, uh, sorry, three people from the church, they felt like really kind of invested in them, cared for them, were, were interested in their spiritual life. Uh, then there was a very, very high likelihood that that child would stick um, and, and would be attending church. Uh, and so that just says, and part of that is an indicator of being integrated into the church in an intergenerational fashion. And so uh, that's something we've really been working on. Um, that's, that's why, if you're always kind of wondering, like, why do they have the, or why have we done these joint classes in the summer or in the spring? where it's the senior high and the adults together that we do in the assembly hall, that's why. So that they're getting experience going to Sunday school with adults. Why is it that the church now, is it f- first grade stays in the church the whole service? Young, fourth grade. Yeah, you've noticed it's been getting younger and younger and younger as far as who's in the church. And so that's all part of this attempt to integrate kids into the church. And so uh, it's good experience for your child. So if you're really irritated by the, uh, you know, the third grader or the fourth grader who's you know, chitty-chatting and jabbering and drawing and doing whatever uh, during church, know that it's for the greater good. <laughs> and go to the 11 o'clock service, <laughs> right? Or 7.30, there's not going to be any kids there. Um, anyhow, uh, so, um, yeah, so that's the fifth. Partnership with families and grading kids into the church. Okay, now as far as parents, things I would say, real basic, real, real basic. I'll just tell you this. My parents, um, my parents are like very, they're faithful Christian people. They're not theologians. They're not Bible scholars. Never did a family devotional. Never, you know, no catechism at our house. Nothing like that. But we did pray before dinner. And we did uh, go to church every Sunday. And my parents did affirm, like, your religious life is the most important thing in your life. All right? 
And, um, and, so, and look how I turned out. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I just, well, my, my thing in that is to say, if you are a person, you're like, I just don't know anything. Or, you know, I'm not even sure about my own faith or things like that. Um, the bar is really, really low. You know, uh, first, just making church attendance a priority, like that's a really good step. That's really good. Um, I think it's particularly powerful if you're on vacation to try to try to get to travel. That stood out to, my, to me with my parents, that when we were on vacation, like we would find a church. I was like, this must be pretty important that we're, you know, that we're in North Carolina and yet we're trucking down to the First Baptist Church at Waynesville uh, to go to a worship service. Or if, you know, you're in a place where there's not a church to pull out the prayer book and they have all these little kind of family or devotionals in the prayer book. And you can pull it offline. And just to like do that for 10 minutes on a Sunday, if you're at the beach or at the lake, that speaks a lot to your kids. And if it's in the prayer book, that means you don't have to do any work. You just read it, you know, right? So anyhow, so, anyhow, so yeah, make church sense a priority. Um, number two, uh, seek deeper joy and peace in Christ in your own spiritual life. Uh, why is that? I was t- talking to a parent this week about, about this type of stuff. And it's like, why is it that I am like, that I, my, my kid's spiritual life is the most important thing to me? Why is it that I like pray out loud with my kids every night? Why is it that we go to church? Why is it we read the Jesus Storybook Bible and all that kind of stuff? Why are we going to do? Why is it we're going to do catechism? It's because Jesus is the single best thing in my entire life. Definitely the single best thing in my entire life. Deepest source of, source of joy. Uh, you know, person that I admire and respect the most <laughs> is Jesus. It's because I mean, my my like motivation for my kids' spiritual life is not out of a sense of obligation. It's because I really want them to taste like the wonder of knowing Jesus in the same way that I do. And so uh, I just think that for yourself, like seeking to know God more deeply, um, seeking to dig deeper into scripture, seeking to grow in your prayer life, those things, that is naturally going to flow over uh, into the way you lead your kids spiritually. So great place to start. And then finally, last thing is just to pray and trust God. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, in our, our small group, uh, there are these kind of uh, rock star Christian families that we all identify that had kids that are our age and you know they're the parents are now in their 50s and 60s and we kind of asked them like what was your recipe you know we all are such good Christian parents you have these like wonderful you know generally law-abiding church attending kids what was your recipe and they're just like oh, we just really prayed a lot that's all they have to say they don't have any magic bullet um, they just say we just really prayed a lot and just the reality is, like, uh, if you internalize that it's your job to convert your kid, <laughs> you're going to suffocate your child. Your child is going to see that, and um, and you know, and it's it's just not going to be particularly effective. Um, but when we just trust, recognize that your relationships, your child's relationship with God, is between them and the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit that can effectuate conversion and change. It's only the Holy Spirit that can draw people to to God. Um, and when you know your your mentality is I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best, but in the end, it's really it's I really just have to trust in God and, and trust in His timing and trust that it's not gonna look necessarily the way that I want it to look. But you know it might be like this and it might be a lot of rocky roads, but it, but it, but I but I put it in my in God's hands. That, that's honestly the single best thing you can do is trust the Lord and just pray a lot. So um, I think we're out of time. I'll pray for us. Oh, I've got to speak at the 11 o'clock service. How about that? But I can stay around. I'll stay around for a few minutes if you have any questions. All right, Jesus, um, you're just incredibly kind and gracious to us. And 
pray for all of us. It is very, very hard uh, to entrust our children to anyone else. Um, but we just give us the faith to do that. Give us the grace to do that. Pray for our own kids. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be at work in their life. And um, that you would, uh, yeah, that you would reveal yourself to them. They'd see the glory and the beauty of God and, and that they would uh, want to know you in a real relationship and walk with you. Ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.